Sometimes when we go back and revisit the things from our childhood, they don't seem as good as we remember them to be. But what happens when that thing from your childhood was outrageous? I mean truly, truly outrageous. Find out as we attempt to prove to you that Gem and the Holograms is not that bad. Welcome, welcome one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A great in B movies. Now, before we get started here, I need to put basically put out a disclaimer. Um, my wife, my lovely wife, Carrie, is probably going to do the majority of the talking on this one. So I'm going to put it out there and say it's probably going to be everyone's favorite episode because she's doing the most talking because we are revisiting her childhood as we talk about Jem and the hologram. So Carrie, how excited for this episode are you today? My eight-year-old heart goes boom. I am loving that we are talking. Actually, I'm shocked. I'm shock-loving. I'm... <laughs> Shaloving that uh, we're talking about Jem. You're shaloving? I'm shaloving. Well, at least you didn't say you're shoveling because the snow <laughs> hasn't hit yet. <sighs> I, it's, it's funny because keep in mind, we are talking about the live action full feature film that didn't last that long in theaters. And surprisingly, we never actually saw it in theaters. Didn't last that long. Barely it, realized it existed. It wasn't until... Yesterday, I was yesterday old when I finally got around to watching this gem of a movie. Oh, you went there. I did. A, you stole my line. B, you, <laughs> B, you dad yes. joked your way through that one. So yes. you oh are literally gosh. taking my entire shtick for this show. <laughs> Basically, I think Carrie should be the one hosting the show. So it almost feels like we should be like switching roles here and she should be the one actually introing the show. But I'm taking over. Uh, we're already a couple of minutes in anyway. So we're just going to keep on going with the way we should have organized this a little bit better. Shouldn't we have? <laughs> <laughs> you would think that we would have talked before recording, but Wait, we're, no. We're supposed to talk? Yeah. I mean, I recognize we're husband and wife and all that, but we're supposed to talk? <laughs> like when not recording? That's never a good thing. It's like, okay, <laughs> now we need to talk. Oh, what? no. Oh, shit. Yeah. When, when all of a sudden one of you says, yeah, we need to talk. Run. Okay. You, you just know that it would be, okay, how much? <laughs> <laughs> how much is it going to cost me? And at, w- at what point is the, you know, the, the, the gem 80s collectible toy convention coming through? Oh, God. Don't even bring up the collectible figurines that I, I had them all. <laughs> I, you know what? I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, if only, if only I had just hung on to that little piece of my past. Right. Or even my, yes, flashing gem earrings. Oh, wow. You, ha- you I, went that far. I had the earrings. I have to ask, did you have the Rockin' Roadster as a kid? No. You know what? Don't bring that up. That's very painful memory. Oh. I, I did. <laughs> I, one Christmas, that was all I wanted. All that I wanted. And I think I got some kind of a Barbie Cadillac. It was, it was not. No. 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 <laughs> 
thanks for trying, mom and dad. I, you know, really, I, 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 I do appreciate, and I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but it was not the gem rock and road star. <laughs> At the same time as this is a movie review podcast, apparently it's also a therapy session for Carrie. It uh, is, it, you know, some very, very painful memories and and very dear memories, like. We were talking about, um, before we started recording, I was reminiscing about Saturday mornings. I would put on my gem flashing earrings and curl up into my gem sleeping bag, lining up with one side, my gem and the holograms, figurines, and the other side was the misfits, the full complete set. I had them all and we would watch whatever episodes of gem were on tv and yeah and it was just the most oh and eating cereal we were talking about eating uh fruity pebbles cereal um that that saturday morning memory so (laughs) for the record by the way if you were a gem fan and you do want to go back down that road uh the cartoon episodes are available on Tubi. When we actually, you know, before, you know, getting ready to record uh, this episode, we actually went back and watched like the very first gem episode last night on Tubi and slightly different. And side note, if anybody out there listening has the gem figurine set, ideally, let me know. Uh, We'll talk. We'll talk if you wish to uh, part with that little piece of your your childhood. I I am I am a uh, suitable buyer. I I yeah. am looking. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking for that little piece of my childhood that I have long long lost and parted with. So. That being said, if you try to pass off any Barbie vehicle as the Rock and Roadster, she will straight up punch you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also, um, you know, since we're confessing, I had the uh, full set of NKOTB figurines as well and parted with them. So See, I'm I'm just dreading now the day where we have to talk about a Transformers movie and you have to reload the fact that you had a GoBot. Oh, <laughs> that, was, that was harsh. That, that, that cut. Uh, I, I, I know, right? Yeah. Okay, so well, before we get into actually talking about the movie version of Gem of the Holograms, it is time to take this 2015 remake and trailerize it. From the director who took Justin Bieber, an internet sensation turned pop star, and put him on the big screen, comes a fictional movie about an internet sensation turned into a pop star in the big screen adaptation of Jim and the Holograms. Aubrey Peoples goes from Nashville to LA in this modern day retelling of the 80s Saturday morning cartoon that's more colorful than G.I. Joe and so tonally different from the source material You'd think it was produced by Michael Bay. You'll grab your crimping iron, put on your bright pink wig, and sing and dance your way through this Blumhouse production. Wait, wait, wait. Blumhouse did this? Blumhouse. The same people who did The Purge? Paranormal Activity? That, that Blumhouse? Black Phone? Get out that Blumhouse? Now that explains the angst. Well, where was I? Oh, yes. 
Grab your bowl of cereal and feedy pajamas and get ready for Gem and the Holograms. Ready PG for pink glitter. Okay. <laughs> Let's be fair. Nobody had to die in this movie and nothing was blown up. So, Which surprises the crap out of me. The fact that this is actually you know co-produced by Blumhouse Pictures. Like, the f***. <laughs> for reals like you take a look at some of the films that Blumhouse has put out right like I said Get Out The Purge Paranormal Activity none of those scream Saturday morning cartoons Black Phone right cool. I'm just going to put this out there okay Jason Blum who is listed as a producer on this film was an executive producer on The Green Inferno like we're talking about a film about cannibalism and he co-produced Gem and the holograms. Just, just. Did just, he lose a bet? I don't know. It feels <laughs> like it, doesn't was it? it? Was it a dare? Like, was it? A, <laughs> it sounds like it was a drunk dare. That's it, it, like him and Eli Roth sitting around. Eli Roth going, "I told you, Green Inferno was going to suck, and now you have to make Gem and the holograms." Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> he lost a bet. I'm starting to think so. <laughs> this film stars Aubrey Peoples. Uh, a lot of people remember her from the Nashville TV series, of which, of course, she played a singer. Uh, Stephanie Scott, Aurora Perrineau, Haley Kiyoko, Ryan Guzman, Molly Ringwald, and Juliette Lewis. It also features cameos by Samantha Newark, who is the original voice of Jem. She played a hairstylist in this. Christy Marks. In this film, she played Lindsay Price, who was the editor from Rolling Stone. She is the creator of the Gem and the Holograms cartoon. And Britta Phillips, who was Gem's singing voice for the 80s cartoon, she was a stage manager in this. Also, it is the film debut of Kesha, who played Pizzazz in the mid credit scene. By the way, spoilers like a mofo, you've been warned. Uh, apparently, Kesha is a massive Gem fan. And she she lobbied hard to get into this one here. Oh, I love that. Uh, I, mad respect. Kudos to Aubrey Peoples. Uh, she actually did her own singing for this one. Um, actually, a lot of the song credits are listed as by Gem and the Holograms with, you know, especially Aubrey Peoples and Stephanie Scott listed as being featured on the song. So kudos to them for, you know, literally lending their voices to this. This film was directed by John M. Chu. And if the name sounds familiar, he's actually got a decent resume. He, of course, directed the aforementioned Justin Bieber's Believe, which... <sighs> sorry, I had to bring that up. But this also isn't his first Hasbro rodeo. Because he is the director of G.I. Joe Retaliation. Uh, he also directed Crazy Rich Asians, In the Heights, and Now You See Me Too. So he actually has a decent filmography under his belt. I have to point out the G.I. Joe Retaliation. Because he said in an interview at one time that he wanted to do a crossover that included Gem and the Holograms, G.I. Joe, and Transformers. And I'm just thinking, how the f- were you going to do that one? Whoa, that's like the all Saturday lineup. Well, keep in mind too, all three were Hasbro properties, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, from a rights perspective, you could do it. From a reality sp- perspective, I have zero idea how you were going to pull that one off. Like you're, you're right now, you're, you're 
like slack jaw going, how? Wow. Just how? I mean, I'm, I can't really say anything because I know out there in existence, there is a comic book, which is a crossover between Transformers and My Little Pony, of which, again, how? Like, how? Like, Optimus Prime on the cover of a comic book with a bunch of My Little Ponies. I And I swear I did not do any illicit drugs before going into the comic book shop to see this. This is, this is an actual thing that exists. Like, I, I get when you have a bunch of properties that are under the same umbrella that you're going to want to actually try to find a way to put them together. Because everything, of course, is a cinematic universe. Thank you, Kevin Feige. Um, to the point of they were actually working on putting together a Hasbro cinematic universe or a Hasbro shared universe. It was supposed to be G.I. Joe and the Micronauts and Mask and Visionaries and Rom the Space Knight, which I really want a Rom Space Knight movie. Please, someone make this happen. Um, but then they put out G.I. Joe Origin Snake Eyes. And I think that they took a look at the reception of that and said, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to put this on the back shelf here. But I can just imagine like the straight up acid trip that is a gem G.I. Joe Transformers Hasbro film. The what? I, I don't I, I don't even I can't even I really can't. Before we get to the downside of this film, which of course is the budget and the box office here, uh, it should be noted that Isabella Kai Rice, who is the actress who played Young Jem in this film, was nominated at the 37th Young Artist Awards for Best Performance in a Feature Film Supporting Young Actress 13 and Under. She lost to Isabella Crovetti in Joy, but I mean, this film... And when you hear the box office, you're going to be surprised. But this film, no Razzie nominations, like no, no bad award nominations. And it was nice to see Isabella Kai Rice actually, you know, get nominated for that. This film, though, has a budget of only $5 million, which is quite surprising when you realize the, the size of the property. The worldwide gross on this film is a whopping $2.3 million. It only lasted two weeks in theaters. That's, oi. Let me put this into perspective here. When this film debuted on the October 23rd weekend in 2015, it debuted at number 15. 15. I'm just going to put this out there. 15. It's definitely not the highest grossing debut that week. That was uh, The Last Witch Hunter, which debuted in number four. Number six debuting was Paranormal Activity of the Ghost Dimension. And number 13 debuting that week was Rock the Casbah. Yeah. This film didn't even crack $2 million. It didn't even crack $1.4 million in its debut weekend. Gem and the Holograms. To put this into perspective, and keep in mind, I can't even put an asterisk on this. It's not like this was, you know, a small release. This was a wide release film. So I did some research. This is considered one of the largest 
wide release box office flops of all time. Oh no. Let me let me do the breakdown on here, okay? Four movies that were released, and all, by the way, all these numbers come from Box Office Mojo, so um, I'm going to take them almost as, as you know, like the holy Bible of box office numbers here. In movies that were released in over 2,000 theaters, all right, Gem and the Holograms ranks 12th for lowest box office during its box office run for a wide release film and i have to put an asterisk on this one because it's worse than it seems much worse okay of those 12 films three of them were re-releases number two was toy story was re-released during the pandemic in 2020 um that's a low take. So we can write that one off because it's a re-release of Toy Story. At number four was the re-release of Saw on its 10th anniversary. So again, another re-release. And at number 11 was the re-release of The Nightmare Before Christmas. So let's take the re-releases out of the equation here. That puts Gem sitting at ninth worse. I'm also going to give a pass on a lot of films that were released during the pandemic because, of course, a lot of theaters were closed and people were, you know, rightfully so nervous about going into the theater. So that eliminates The Empty Man, which was released in October of 2020, The Broken Hearts Gallery, which was released in September of 2020, Scoob, which was released in May of 2021, uh, Profiles, which was released in 2021. The King's Daughter, which was released this year, 2022. So what does that leave us? That leaves us with Gem and the Hologram sitting at number four for worst box office take wide release. What was worse? If you take out all of those those movies that we have given a pass, whether they're re-releases or pandemic releases, that at number three... At number five overall, but at number three with our with our eliminations was Playmobil the movie. Yeah, that that brought in a grand total of six hundred and fifty six thousand dollars. At number three overall, but number two on our retracted list or or reduced list is Delgo, which made only five hundred and eleven thousand nine hundred and twenty dollars. And then at number one. Number one overall, no no retractions, no asterisk on this one, is the Oogie Loves in the Big Balloon Adventure, which made only $443,000. So, I mean, in comparison to the Oogie Loves, Jim and the Hologram is a massive moneymaker. I'm fascinated now. I want to watch. <laughs> the Oogie the Loves Oogie in Lo- the Big Balloon Adventure. <laughs> I, have a, I have a sinking feeling that one probably qualifies, but... As I'm telling you all of this, like these really, and there's no sugarcoating this either, right? These are horrible numbers for a film that is, you know, to quote Antoine, IPs and sequels. <laughs> okay, I'm going to admit and confess that this one came and went. It was, wasn't even on my radar. I mean, I was aware of it. I remember <laughs> hearing that they made 
uh, a real life movie of Gem and the Holograms. And I thought, okay, that's cool. I don't know. I never gave it the attention that I should have. Now, friends, truth bomb here. This movie is good. It is really, really good. It has so much heart. And if you, like me, grew up watching the cartoon, give it a chance. Just give it, you know what? It, it'll cost you nothing because it's on, how did we watch well, it? Well, we watched it off of Crave. It's on Crave. So if you're in Canada, you can watch it off Crave. Okay. But you know what? Even if it's at your local video store on a DVD copy. Wait, what's a local video store? If that is still a thing. <laughs> I'm sure it's on the internet. Everything's on the internet if you search. Uh, but give it a give it a go. Because I was so pleasantly surprised and impressed by this story. Now, not necessarily the storyline, because they took a lot of liberties with the storyline, but as a story with characters that you grew up with that you might remember from days past when, you know, you were eating cereal <laughs> oh, you're on a all Saturday morning. You're getting all nostalgic and it's stuff. It's so good. It is so good. And damn it, did it get dusty in my office when we were watching it? Oh my God. She it, cried. I, yeah, I... I cried. She teared. I did. I had, I had a stream of tears. Like normally, when I bring up a movie that we have to watch, Carrie's like in tears. Like, no, please don't make me watch the crappy movie again. No, she she actually legit teared up at this one here. But all of that kind of leads to why we're talking about this film. Over on Metacritic, this film has a meta score of forty two, and then over on Rotten Tomatoes, oh boy. The audience score is 40%. So, I mean, not horrible when you consider that this is considered a box office bomb. The tomatometer on this one is 22%. And I'm not going to lie, when you consider how much of a box office bomb this is, I mean, and again, you really can't sugarcoat that one. That number seems high in comparison to some of the other movies that we've talked about on this show. So... Before we get into the breakdown of it, 22% as a critic score, too high, too low? Like, what's your ex- expectation of what we were, what that number was going to be when we were, you know, started to talk about this film? For the movie as a whole, um, I think it's low. I think it was misaligned. Oh, no, for the movie, but as far as your expectation as to what the critic score would be. Again, keeping in mind that this is considered one of the biggest box office flops of all time. I am guessing, just taking a, a wild guess, that the critics held no nostalgia for the the cartoon property. I can see that. Um, And, and even... even at that, even even looking beyond that, it's a good story. It is a very, um, it's a very well told tale of a, a a rise to fame, and more so of 
an everlasting love for family, I think. And that at the core of this movie is um, like it, it was it was a pleasant surprise. An ever loving or an everlasting love of family. You make it sound like a fa- uh, Fast and Furious movie. But let's get into the <laughs> breakdown of this one here. Right. We always have Brazil. Um, just no. Just no. Let's get into the breakdown of this. And first, we have to start right at the top. Aubrey Peoples as Jerrica Benton, also known as Jem. How was Jerrica for you? I'm not going to lie. At first, I was really having trouble accepting that she was Jem. Um, or at least the real person behind gem um in the cartoon of course which is what i was basing it on even the alter ego or the sorry not even alter ego gem being the alter ego even the real jemica was i mean she was very different she's mm-hmm. very different um i found that the actress um who was playing jemica was was very plain. did you just call her jemica <laughs> put the two together. <laughs> okay. Okay. So so let let's put this out there, right? Because we I think we almost need to get to the the actual movie differences in comparison to the actual cartoon. So in the cartoon, of course, uh, Jerrica's father, uh, who is a co owner co owner of Starlight Records, passes away. So basically, the company is left between her and Eric Raymond, who is the I guess the the co owner of Starlight Records, and of course. Jer- Jerrica uses Synergy, which is this big musical, like giant, you know, like B3 kind of Hammond organ kind of device that also happens to be a holographic projector. And Jem is this holographic representation of what people see when they see her on stage, her and her her sisters who, you know, they're all in the same house together, uh, very much like this one. Uh, here... Jerrica is, you know, one of four um, orphans that are in this house together with her quote unquote sisters, one of them actually being her sister. And then her sister takes this video of Jerrica singing one of her songs, puts it on the internet, then all of a sudden, (gasps) internet fame. And that's when everything kind of, you know, you know, steam rolls down the hill at that point. So the 80s cartoon is definitely much more you know, your typical Saturday morning, every episode is an action adventure kind of thing with a lot of really repetitive freaking songs thrown in. Like anyone who complains about the repetitiveness of like Beyonce songs these days, go watch an old episode of 80s, you know, gem from Saturday morning cartoons. And those songs are just basically like the same line over and with, over. With the mini music video montage oh when you consider when this show came out it was like 1988 the show came out like that's like prime mtv so clearly this is you know the mtv cartoon kind of thing so i mean it makes sense but but as far as use of music though if i may Mm -hmm. in this movie there were so it was the editing was phenomenal Oh, it was montage after montage, yeah. There were so many montages. There were there were so many uses of 
a combination of the internet, um, like internet video mm-hmm. um, at really pivotal points and the use of music in those moments was, I thought, brilliant. I mean, here's the thing. They, they, the fact that in this movie... You know, Jerrica is almost like an uh, not an unwilling internet sensation, but definitely not of her own design. That was thanks to Kimber. Um, so the fact that they use all these YouTube videos, like the, these viral videos, almost as you know, parallel storytelling devices for certain points in this film, it makes sense. I mean, but even as we were watching this, you were sitting there going, did they not realize that YouTube wasn't a thing in the 80s? Because it wasn't. I mean, you have to modernize the story. You have to, Mm -hmm. right? What I loved, what I absolutely loved was the use of um, her, because the the entire story is about, uh, she's trying to find herself, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And hearing how important Jem is to the world and the population and her fans um, really helped cement, you know, that she was indeed doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And it was so, so powerful. And I thought it was fantastic. I mean, here's the thing, you know, and, and I'm just, you know, now narrowing on, on Aubrey Peoples because, I mean, you know, how the story plays out and the differences between this movie and the cartoon that has nothing to do with Aubrey Peoples as an actress and how she's playing Jerrica. Um, I think Jerrica is best when she's playing off of the four of them, right? You know, and and against Molly Ringwald as Aunt Bailey. You know, when, when Aubrey Peoples is supposed to be like, you know, Jem, the star kind of thing, it feels a little awkward and at times. I She's best when she's just Jerrica and, you know, with her sisters and, you know, sometimes Rio. And, you know, that that's when she really shines in this. Um, and I will say, like, the fact that she actually does a lot of the singing in this herself, like, kudos to her. Like, that, that she's got a great voice. Like, you, you can't go wrong with that. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Um, speaking of sisters, though, we have to move on to Stephanie Scott, who played Kimber, the younger sister to Jerrica. How was Kimber for you? Oh, she was so great. She played the part perfectly. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was so interesting as they rose to fame because I think they could have done so much more with Kimber's character. Like, I mean, she was she was the one that um, a started it all by. Um, posting the the video by not deleting the video and actually putting it up on youtube posting it right but i mean even um you know in um would you call it narration the first scene where jericho was kind of like explaining to the camera you know the kind of the sharing the backstory but it was more of a narrative yeah anyway um i mean she had mentioned that like her sister was posting her life story, um, you know, before it was even cool, right? Like, yeah. like she wanted, uh, Kimber wanted the internet fame and, and um, she was even um, quoted saying like, you're internet famous and that's better than being like really famous. Yeah, right up, the, right up there with, you know, um, you know, water skiing squirrel. i mean here's the thing i love the fact that at no point did they have kimber turn into the you know the the super jealous sister you know because she is she's the one who's you know posting her life out loud on all these you know social media platforms whether it be instagram or youtube or whatever the case and then it's jerica that gets all the attention and yes there was a bit of a storm off there but at no point was it you know it wasn't tropey Right. It, it wasn't like, you know, angsty teen sister wants to be the famous one and all that. Like, like this is a very supportive sister. And even despite like that, the, the little hiccup in the road, which, by the way, just go watch the movie yourself. Um, Extremely supportive sister, I mm-hmm. might add, like to the point that there could have or what they did with this storyline 
um, with regards to the relationship between Jerrica and her father. Mm-hmm. That could have been played out very differently. Could have um, been a huge wedge. Absolutely, if, yeah. If if Kimber at all had been... Um, jealous of the attention? Yeah, like jealous or just kind of like almost... I don't know. I think jealous is probably the the best way of putting it. Yeah. Um, But she wasn't. She was incredibly supportive. Um, And it was almost kind of odd that there wasn't more of a connection between Kimber and her father, it seemed. Like, the entire story centered around Jerrica. Yeah. And... That, I found that a bit odd. It, it, I'm glad it didn't go down that whole YA route of like, you know, again, like, you know, sister rivalry kind of thing. Like, no, no. These two girls grew up basically having lost their father, basically having lost everything that they have. Um, thankfully, they end up with Aunt Bailey and in a very supportive environment. Um, you know, these two sisters clearly have each other's backs no matter what, even despite the, you know, the bumps in the road. And that never gets, you know, that's never shaken, right? That bond is never shaken. Uh, I think that's solid. Plus, she was just, she was just adorable in this. Like, like honestly, she was just having way too much fun. Um, Aurora Perno, who played Shanna. You know the the fashion obsessed one of the uh, the orphan sisters here. Uh, how was Aurora Perino as Shanna for you? Oh, she was great. She was so great. Like, um, I think all four girls played their parts so well. See, I find of the four, Shanna was the one that was given the least amount to do. Like, and that, and that's it's not that she you know, played the role poorly or something like that. It's just that of the four, right? Obviously, Kimber and Jerrica are going to be the big, you know, the the big focus of the four. You know, Aja gets to be the badass, which is, you know, pretty cool and all that. But Shanna just seemed there. I think that was very much um, in her character, though. I I don't think it was um, like that she was in any way undercut. I think... In the dynamic of the four women, mm-hmm. um, she played her part well. Oh, I mean, she she added a layer to the to the to the, you know the foursome, which is great. Um, but again, like you know, with with Haley Kyoko who played Aja in this, like she gets to be the badass, like she gets to be the one who somehow hacks into the Starlight Records, like you know, computer system and whatnot. Like she actually has a job, right? Kimber, Jerrica, they have they have something to do. Shanna is basically the guitarist, and that's about it. But again, I think um, in the even in the household dynamic of the four girls before. Um, like before they they rose to fame, that was pretty much like she just kind of went along to get along, and mm-hmm. I I don't think that um, I mean again, she certainly wasn't the badass, so she's not really going to vie for any attention. She's probably the peacekeeper, really. But yet also Jerrick is kind of the peacekeeper as well, so it's it's almost like. Shanna is redundant at this point. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Someone had to play guitar. <laughs> and the, the piano. Or the guitar. key tar. The key, yeah. The key tar. Um, I'm not going to lie. 
when you see Aunt Bailey, and then you realize, holy crap, that's Molly Ringwald. It took me a minute to realize, holy crap, that's Molly Ringwald. Well, when you told me, I was like, what do you mean? I thought that was Jenny Garth or Jenny. Yeah, Jenny Garth. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's Molly Ringwald. This was her first theatrical release film since appearing in Not Another Teen Movie 14 years prior to this film. So, you know, the return to the big screen of Molly Ringwald here. Um, I freaking loved her in this. Like... Oh, she was so great. She was so great. She held her own against uh, um, Juliette Lewis. Yeah, Erica Raymond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing I like about Aunt Bailey, right, is that here's here's a woman who took in these girls, right, basically runs this orphan house, is doing her best to kind of keep everything afloat all on her own, meanwhile trying to provide these four girls with, you know, not just a... a, a a good roof over their head and food on the plate kind of thing. But, you know, also teaching them the importance of being together. Like, I don't know about you, but if I tried to get my kids, you know, our kids to, you know, uh, stop fighting by all of a sudden, like bust into, into harmony kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> nope. Yeah. That don't fly. <laughs> um, first of all, I couldn't even carry a tune to save my life as it is. And I'm in a band. So go figure that one. Um, but, there's just something so sweet about Aunt Bailey, right? And I think the 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 way that Molly Ringwell plays her rubs off on the other four in a way that it totally makes sense that this is the woman that kind of, you know, not only keeps them together, but but keeps them keeps them going, keeps them creative. Well, I mean, that's even addressed in the narrative, right? Like when it was said that, you know, five women in the same house. Yeah. Like that's a recipe for disaster from the beginning. Weirdest family ever. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they make it work. And I think it's because of their complementary personalities that it just, it just works. Yeah. And their family. And and, and freaking Molly Ringwald. Like, come on. It's Molly freaking Ringwald. All right. Uh, but we got to move on to Rio as played by Ryan Guzman. His name is Rio. That, that's that's correct. Um, kind of like the meat cute in this one, you know, chip on the shoulder, living under the, you know, his mom's thumb kind of thing. Um, but how was Rio for you? He was perfect. He was he was very charming. And um, yeah, I. Can't, I don't know how much can, I can say, but the... I'll say it. I mean, the, the movie was released in 2015 and no one went to go see it, so... The ending twist, right? The ending twist where um, he finds his dad's will. They go searching for Jem's earrings, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, in the Starlight Safe. And he finds his dad's will and learns that he is eligible to take over the company as soon as he feels he's ready. So that was the pivotal moment where yeah. he stood up to his mom and yeah. And it was just so, it was like, at this point you're just rooting for him. Like, <laughs> can, can I, th- this is going to sound really weird, right? So of course, Juliet Lewis plays Erica Raymond, who is Rio's mother in this. As I'm watching this, I'm like, you know, there is zero chance that, and I and I, I'll be honest, I have not looked at their ages at this point. That 
Erica Raymond is Rio's mother. Like, it does not look like the proper age difference between the two. Like, you know, say what you will. Either Ryan Guzman looks too old or Juliette Lewis just looks way too young. But is it just me or did it feel like a very odd kind of pairing for mother-son? I don't... I didn't see it that way at all. I saw Juliette Lewis as being much older than her character. Like... You know, almost kind of like she's just trying so hard to be hip and edgy and just the the heiress of this company that, um, yeah, like, oh, I mean, she was brilliant. She played the part so perfectly. She was evil and kind of like... Um, What's the word for it? It's almost kind of like sweet, but like sour. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to Juliet Lewis in a second. Oh. But but I just want to put this into perspective here, okay? Juliet Lewis was born in 1973. Ryan Guzman is born in 1987. So you do the math. That means Juliet Lewis had Ryan Guzman at 14. That's what we're looking at as far as reality goes. If you look at the character, though, it, it is quite possible. It's just Juliet Lewis just doesn't age. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to put it out there. Juliet Lewis does not age. She is so cool. Right? Um, I do love her. I, I, I think with Rio, though, it kind of felt like a means to an end. Like, I could see in a, in a Gem in the Holograms 2 Electric Boogaloo kind of sequel because and then at that point, Jerrica and Rio are the ones running Starlight. And then it's Erica Raymond who's trying to topple that empire. That makes sense as far as the cartoon goes. Of which they set it up beautifully oh, with the introduction of the Misfits. They did. In the post credit scene and talking about the um, previous relationship. We are the misfits. We are the misfits. <laughs> uh, but speaking of Juliet Lewis here, I'm going to let you go on about Erica Raymond first, but uh, your thoughts on the, the, basically the gender swap baddie, because of course in the cartoon it was Eric Raymond. Now we have Erica Raymond. So your thoughts on Juliet Lewis. I, uh, again, I thought she was absolute perfection. Um, it was an interesting twist that the heir to Starlight was indeed um, the the Raymond family and not... Uh, and not the Bentons, yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, they definitely, you know, took liberties, but I thought it worked out so beautifully because of how they introduced or how they um, portrayed Jerrica's father, Jerrica and Kimba's father. Mm-hmm. I am surprised that we have not yet mentioned a comparable on this, but here's where I have to, okay? When you're talking about this film, you're almost going to be almost involuntarily drawn to draw comparisons to Josie and the Pussycats, right? And I think Juliette Lewis's portrayal of Erica Raymond is very much akin to Parker Posey's character in Josie and the Pussycats, but I don't think that's a good thing. No, you know what? I thought she was more of like a Cruella de Vil. I could see that, but I mean, just hear me out on this because it's not like I don't like Juliette Lewis and what she did with Erica Raymond, but I just don't think tonally it fits the film. Okay? Hear me out on this one. 
Jerrica and her sisters become internet famous and then become like it almost feels like this uh, Vox Lux kind of story the Vox Lux of course being uh, the film with uh, Natalie Portman um and then all of a sudden it switches to this like little action adventure type thing and then it switches back to this you know not necessarily angsty but definitely a bit more YA style story of you know the 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 perils of uh, the, the the rise and fall of fame, and here's Juliette Lewis coming in, chewing up the scenery, really enjoying playing the baddie, but it feels like she's playing the baddie in a film that's supposed to be more comedic than it than it is. I disagree. Okay. I definitely disagree because um, being in her position of the heir and CEO of Starlight Enterprise. Um, she she was a tough cookie. Like you could tell that this is a music business um, uh, badass. Like <laughs> she, you know, clearly, right? Um, I mean, she's probably in a male-dominated industry um, having to deal with a lot of, um, in fact, what I loved the most is that she wasn't just trying to book and sign bands. She took it to the next level where she wanted to create a product, a marketable product. And it wasn't about the music at that point anymore. I mean, she, um, they, they, the contract was for what? Two shows for Jem to play. Mm-hmm. Three shows. Three. Okay. Anyway, um, which, by the way, I have issue. The only issue I have with this movie was the choice of song that they did at the final show. Okay. I thought that it was very... Boring? Yes. It was very diluted compared to... Um, Young blood. What they, yeah, what they could have what yeah. they could have done. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the music. Because it was actually on my list of things to talk about here. And again, we have to kind of draw comparisons to Josie and the Pussycats because we're talking about a movie remake of a previous cartoon, um, you know, a Saturday morning cartoon that was based around an all-female band, right? The comparables are there. Again, the same, you know, um, tensions within the band. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's so much more, though. I am going to stand firm in saying that this storyline had so much more going on. Okay. Josie and the Pussycats knew exactly what it was, right? It was a comedy film, right? It was very much a comedy film, right? Um, and as far as, uh, a, you know, a, for lack of a better term, a musical, when you realize that, you know, the, the, both movies are about bands, I think Josie and the Pussycats, and you'll probably agree with me on this one, had the much better soundtrack. Okay, but the the important point to to note is that Josie wanted to rise to fame. Jerrica didn't. No, she didn't. She didn't even like being on camera. No. When, you know, her sister would go around with a camcorder all the time. And at least so, Josie and the Pussycats showed that they were a band beforehand. Like really this this didn't even feel like a band beforehand at all. It's like it's like they were lip syncing on video and then all of a sudden like, "Oh, by the way, crap, we're a band now." Oh, well. 
Well, I think that they grew up with music, though. Yeah, no, I, I can I can appreciate the fact that they probably do play music together. And I will say the passage of time, um, time is an illusion in this film, um, just because it seems like everything kind of happens all at once. Like, wow, this, the, I, I get flash in the pan kind of thing. And, you know, fame hits you hard really fast. But you know what um, kind of shook me as much as I will defend this movie um, was the transition to, okay, they're on their way to L.A. She puts um, Kimball? No, 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 no. What is the, the name of the little... Robot? Robot. Synergy. Synergy. Oh, my God. I should know that. <laughs> it's just that it's not a hologram with keyboards around. No, puts, um, no one puts Synergy in the corner I here. I know. But she throws Synergy into her backpack at like a, like a last Minute thought. Minute kind of thing, yeah. A last thought, you know, before packing to, to go to L.A. And then it turns into a um, scavenger hunt, really. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with clues from her deceased father and... You know, synergy starts projecting these maps and stuff, and and everyone's just kind of okay with okay. Well, let's go on an adventure and break curfew. Um, it, it was like, wait, what? Right. <laughs> like, like at at what point did it lead up to this? And a side note: at what point did Rio ever consult the band when sharing the name Gem and the Holograms? Right. With Rolling Stone, like. Uh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, you may now officially own the company, but at least consult the damn band before giving them a full name. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, I get that's your roll credits moment kind of thing, but also, we need to talk about the Synergy storyline here. Okay. First of all, Synergy, really cute as a robot. Like, it was like, it's, it's cute as hell. It was it was very much akin to like um, BB-8. Wally. At Wally BB-8, like that kind of droid, right? Which is fine, right? But first of all, and 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 I I got a diatribe here, and and please jump in where where you're going to defend this here. But I'm I'm going to be grumpy old man diatribing here for. Would a second. you like a Snickers? Oh, uh, you, you might want, you might as well get the Snickers bar ready because I'm going to need it afterwards. Okay. Here we go. Leading up to the point where synergy somehow comes to life. Right. It's like I can buy the story. Right. Kimber puts the video up. It become, you know, they become Internet famous kind of thing. They sign the deal with Starlight Records. They, they, they go to L.A. You know, they get to that first show kind of thing. And then all of a sudden this robot wakes the up. Right. And then all of a sudden it turns into, uh, like you said, a scavenger hunt. And then uh, Synergy, you know, they get the second piece of the puzzle. Synergy's like, yeah, I'm going to bed. Right. I'm not going to give you any hints whatsoever. And then it's from some weird, you know, Adam West era Batman, you know, train of thought that allows them to realize that the the earrings are what, you know, basically is the final piece. <sighs> Meanwhile, you've got like another 30 minute section of like, OK, well, we're going to skip the the scavenger hunt storyline, then get back to the, the band storyline, then get back to the synergy storyline. This film to me does not know what it wants to be. I think I'm going to add to that in that at one point the sisters had a turnaround mm-hmm. because that was fast. Like what they're, they're in a, a limo on the way to the airport and then boom, they're, they're 
how did they know a well, <laughs> where to find her? Well, I, I, like, I, I get Kimber would have a good idea of where to go, and Kimber probably told the the rest of them that part. Also, for the record, here, right? If I were ever to want to leave something for our kids, right, to to look back on. I swear to God, I am not going to create some weird scavenger hunt around the entire Toronto area in the hopes that they have the, you know, the wherewithal to figure out what the f- I was thinking. Like, can, can you just put it, like, write a letter. Okay, put it in a will. But, oh, my God, the projection scene with the record of the father. This is where she cried. I cried. And then... The, the the tiny eight-year-old Cherica comes into the room and hugs her. Holy f- I still have, <laughs> I have the goosebumps and the tears. Oh, okay. You know what? If you're going to watch this movie, watch it for that scene. Because when it all comes down to it, it's about family. And it was so, so I, touching. I think at that point, I'd be looking at the projection and knowing that you can say whatever you want because it's just a hologram. Right? Like, dad, could you not have made it simple? Like, put instructions in the box with everything that I need rather than have me try to figure your weird brain out. Okay, but I'm going to say that half of the, half of the lesson was for her to find herself. I am not going to do that to our kids. And if, (laughs) simple as that, if she had not gotten, to LA, like none of the, that that's the thing. Synergy was literally just sitting on her shelf for what, 10, 12 years, um, arguably, maybe more, you know, and then just magically comes to life and starts projecting maps. Like mm-hmm. nobody questioned this. Nobody thought there was anything, you know, obscure going on. Um, but I, I think I think that they they tried to jam an entire season of gem and the hologram cartoons into a what two hour movie? I don't even think it was two hours. No, it, it was close to two hours. There was a lot going on. But here's the interesting thing too as well. This film came out October 2015, right? Two months later. December 2015, Star Wars The Force Awakens you know, comes out. End of that film, right? R2-D2 comes to life for whatever reason and starts holograph projecting a map that tells you where Luke is. I can't believe I'm comparing Gem and the Holograms to Star Wars The Force Awakens. You have... Oh, no. You literally have one of the biggest box office bombs of all time and the record holder for largest North American domestic box office gross. You're about to break the internet. Two months apart in theaters, Droid wakes up for no reason, shows a holographic map and Jem came first. Like I, yep. I, re- I recognize these films, you know, they you take a while to, yeah. Questions and comments too. <laughs> it's I not be- that bad. I cannot believe, you know, oh, send me a stickers bar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> right? But but it, I just find it fascinating that this film comes out and then two months later, R2-D2 wakes up for no reason whatsoever and shows the map so Ray can find Luke. I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Um, of course, this is the remake of the 1980s Saturday morning cartoon of which you were a massive fan of, right? Like this was, Jem was your jam, right, in the 80s. So I need to put this to you. Does this film do the cartoon enough justice? Yes. Why? Oh, because there was just enough nostalgia. The merchandising Merchandising. that was was associated with the cartoon. Um, In fact... One of the YouTube videos of the fans who um, were, you know, sharing their their love and and how Jem was so important to them and the, for their own personal reasons. One of the T-shirts, um, it was simply just a, a black T-shirt with Jem, um, you know, written in that that so familiar logo with the <laughs> pink and the stars. Um, I had that t-shirt, that exact t-shirt, and it just, the nostalgia factor, if anything, is everything. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because this is actually one of the controversies of this film. So, apparently, and this is just things I have read while I was researching for this film, um, they had, like, this big thing going on where people would send in videos talking about gem kind of thing and what the cartoon kind of meant to them. And they put these videos in the the film um, almost as if in the context that they're talking about Jem and the holograms, the live action. So they're basically they're part of the storyline. Like these are the fans of this band rather than just these people are talking about um, Jem themselves. Even the videos of the celebrities that they have where they're talking about, um, you know, like, like Dwayne Johnson is in this right and he's talking about how this song and it's so badass and the whole works he's talking about taylor swift's bad blood in that clip the whole thing with chris pratt talking about yeah i I dated like you know gem or well he was that was from a clip from like the the press tour of uh the the lego movie and a lot of these clips are taken out of context now, they're, these fans are still talking about how much Jem meant to them, right? But there were, from what I've read, there are some people who are really kind of ticked off that this is the context that it's put into. Yeah, they didn't, like, I could have understood if they did, like, an open call mm-hmm. for, hey, submit a, you know, 10 to 15 second clip of... um you know, the the gem cartoon that you grew up watching, especially taking um, like celebrity v- video clips. That's well, that's kind of shady. Okay, well, here's Did a, they not let them know? Like, well, I here's the thing. John Chu, of course, directed G.I. Joe Retaliation. So he's worked with Dwayne Johnson before. So I would not be surprised if they reached out to Dwayne Johnson and said, look, this clip, can we just take this section of the clip, put it in and treated like this kind of context and Dwayne Johnson seems pretty cool like with with everything and the fact that he has worked with John Chu in the past means there's probably that working relationship and uh, 
I can only hope that's the case. Yeah. Everything at that point had to be on the level, right? So with the celebrities and all that, that's on the level, right? But the fans... Now, admittedly, there, you know, at these concert scenes where, you know, with Gem's three shows, apparently a lot of those those concerts are filled with Gem fans. Oh, right? love that. So. I didn't get a call, though. That's cool. But also, Christy Mack, the creator of Gem, had no real say in making of this film and didn't really know that it was happening. And this is her creation, right? Yes, she's in the film and they kind of made amends with that kind of stuff, but she didn't write it. She didn't have, you know, have any say in the storyline. I Can get. they do that? Can they well, take yes, a property? Yes, Has, because Hasbro and- owns the property. So <laughs> it, it's kind of like, you know, but you know, the, the, the Bob Kane estate has no say in what DC does with Batman, right? The estate of, 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 uh, the creators of Superman don't have the say in what DC does with that property. Now, hold on, though. They, they so, still have it in the credits, you know, created by. No, 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 no. This is a chicken and egg conversation. Mm-hmm. So you said that because Hasbro has the rights, but what came first? It would have had to have been the cartoon. It was created for Hasbro. The Okay, that's yeah. the difference. Because the cartoon is what built the fame, the yes. popularity, and then they created the figures based on yeah. the cartoon. Yeah. But it was it's, it was Yeah. I mean with Transformers deal. it was kind of like different, right? Because of course the toys came first and then Marvel they like they went to Marvel in order to kind of help flush out the storyline and Marvel created the comic book and then they did the cartoon kind of thing. And that's how that kind of blew up. But for here, yes, um it was the same production company as I recall um, that did the G.I. Joe and Transformers cartoons. Uh, but of course, it's all under the Hasbro banner. So, yes, Hasbro owns the property, but of course, the original idea was created by it. And that's the thing with a lot of comic book properties. Like, the characters are created by these people for these companies, but in these contracts, it's the company that owns the rights to the character. Right. So even if you were to create the greatest comic book character of all time for, say, a Marvel, and then you decided to go work for DC, well, that's fine. But Marvel still has the rights to the character. So it's one of those things where Hasbro has the rights to Gem, and at least she's in it and, and kind of acknowledges being in it kind of thing. But, you know, it's just one of the things where the original creator of the cartoon was not involved as far as the story and production elements of this film. Can I just say, even the onstage presence of Jem in the movie, um, it wasn't bad, but I just think that they still, it was almost kind of like a diluted version of Jem from what I would have expected being a fan of the cartoon. Yeah, I was getting some serious, like, Sia vibes, especially in the second, like, the solo performance, right? Like, I I get it, you know, and it's of its time. Like, obviously, you're not going to go out there and put out some, like, 80s glammy poppy kind of stuff kind of thing. Because in 2015, people will go, yeah, no, right? Like, you're going to mimic, like, the biggest stars of the time, you know. It's funny you say Sia, because I was very much thinking Lady 
Gaga. You were going to say Lady Gaga. I, I was. I cut, my, <laughs> <laughs> I cut myself off as I was saying it. So. Well, I mean, I say tomatometer every single episode. So, you know, clearly <laughs> the emphasis is in the right spot here. Uh, before we get to our MVPs, though, Twitter has spoken on this film. Uh, our good friends over at Movie Date Night, Greg and Lauren, hey, how you guys doing? Uh, they said, I remember this movie being in my local cinema for literally one day. Sadly, there was no encore performance and the tour was canceled for Gem and the Holograms. Guess that means I'll never get my Michael Bay directed Jabberjaw film complete with the shark drum solo. No. Just no. <laughs> also, I love that, by the way. <laughs> right? Um, also, at Gem Italy. Yes, at Gem Italy has chimed in with, I will let my custom dolls collection answer that question. By the way, I took a, I took a look at the at her website. And yes, uh, this at Gem Italy has created a custom line of Gem and the Holograms, <gasps> the movie doll collection here. Oh my gosh. Including Erica Raymond and the whole works. <gasps> So, yeah, that's out there. Uh, She also says, lots of potential there. We were robbed of a truly outrageous sequel. And this is one of those films that goes down. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to start going shopping, aren't you? Big fan. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, uh, both of you, uh, Movie Date Night and at Gem Italy for those comments here. But this, Gem Italy does bring out a point here in that this goes down as one of those films that, called it shot for a sequel and we've talked about a few of them on this show like mac and me and masters of the universe films that that called their shots that we're gonna make a sequel and the sequel has yet to happen so i'm gonna put this to you knowing the box office response to the first film and the overall 22 percent tomatometer of this film are we ever going to see Gem and the Holograms 2? I hope so. If I can make it so, I would. <laughs> um, can I borrow like five, six million dollars? Anyone? Um, Anyone? I'm just curious though. If you're going to borrow the five or six million dollars, are you going to use it to make a Gem and the Holograms 2? Or are you just going to buy a bunch of custom made Gem and the Holograms movie dolls? Yes. <laughs> okay. So so it is time to nominate your truly outrageous MVP of Gem and the Holograms. Juliet Lewis. Really? Yeah, Miss Erica Raymond. Oh, she was she was perfect. She was so spicy and just like like again, she had that Cruella Deville vibe, but you know, she was kind of like so sweet yet so completely sour. I just, I loved her. She, she was great. She was, for lack of a better analogy, she was very Saturday morning cartoon. Yes, and she played it perfectly. I just don't think the the film lent itself to a Saturday morning cartoon villain. But if if she if the if her job is to go in there to be a Saturday morning cartoon villain, then she did her job well. She's not my MVP though. I initially considered Molly Ringwald to be my MVP. But I have to hand it to Kimber, Stephanie Scott. There's just something about, you know, the younger sister kind of thing. And that she's the engine that drives the bus 
in all of this, right? Jerrica doesn't want nothing to do with none of this, right? She just wants to make sure that somehow they've got money in order to, to keep the house and keep the family together and all that. Kimber's the one who seems to be having the most fun out of everybody. And she's not only a reminder for Jerrica to to have fun with life and not to, you know, you know, worry it away. Not waste it away, but worry it away. But she also reminds Jerrica to, to believe in herself and her own talents. Like, there is a lot of unspoken motivation that comes out of Kimber in this. And I think Stephanie Scott kind of killed it in the role. But, oh, my God, can we give mad props to the dad? <sighs> that scene. Nope. Like, nope. I was not expecting this movie to have me sobbing. I, I will give that scene its due, but if I'm Jerrica, I'm literally screaming at the hologram saying, you could have made it a little easier there, dad. Oh, yeah. No. Uh, parents, please do not leave some random scavenger hunt in the, the wilds of the city for your children and, you know, stash it away in a busted down little robot that's going to come to life randomly for no reason whatsoever. But you know what? All of the pieces of the puzzle that made <laughs> synergy work in the end were things that meant something. Oh, absolutely. Like, so, I mean, everything from the the guitar, right? And, and it's, it was never explained how it, how that guitar go- well no it explained it that, that that the the open air club was the club that um you know Jerrica and, and Kimber's dad always wanted to bring them to but how did right? the guitar get there that's a very very good question although i have Convenient. to i have to laugh and it's story time here on this one here so that scene at the first show where the power just straight cuts out kind of thing and the, and they have to kind of just keep on going We've said it before. I'm in a band and we've had that show where the power cuts out of the entire damn town that we're in. Uh, and we somehow have to, you know, just try to do our best to keep the party going. For the record, uh, We Will Rock You is a great song to sing when you when there's zero power in the entire town. And it's the only thing you can do, you know, stomp your feet, clap your hands. And that's the show you're going to put on. Well, now you have another option. Uh, yes. If we have random... Uh, deceased father's guitar hanging on the wall of the club. That's pretty much how it boils down to that one. Um, Carrie, before we go, I need to put this to you. The audience score is 40%. The tomatometer is 22. Where are you, the gem fan of the two of us, putting this film? I'm saying it's in the 60s. It was unfairly maligned because... It was very well done. It did take a certain amount of liberties from the cartoon, but you know what? I, I don't. I don't hate that. I, I. I don't think you can make this film today without taking some liberties from that from that cartoon. And you know what? It was. It was so good. For, again, for the nostalgia factor, like I still. Um, I mean, I only saw it yesterday, but I'm still <laughs> replaying it in my mind. And I'm like, oh, you know what? They did a great job with it. Right. It is so worth a watch. Um, and yeah, it, you know what? It was enjoyable. It was um, 
it was everything it needed to be. It was funny, but it wasn't overly funny. It was a bit of a convoluted tale, but in the end, you know, all the pieces came together. Um, you know, it, it, they did a great job with it. And I think they, they handled a nostalgic property with care. I, I will say, if you're expecting Josie and the Pussycats, you're expecting the wrong movie, right? And yes, you're going to make the comparisons to the two. It's inevitable. Um, don't, right? Just put Josie and the Pussycats out of your mind, even though, and I looked it up, that film qualifies for this show. Barely, <gasps> but Josie and the Pussycats is an under 60% film. No. I think it's sitting at like 53, and I freaking love that film. Yeah. That's a 20. That's Next a 20. on, it's not that bad. <laughs> no, we only have a few episodes left for 2022. So that's a 2023 mission right there. Uh, also, to all of our listeners, by the way, thank you for all of the listening that you guys have done. Uh, we had a chance to take a look at our Spotify stats um, for artists. And I am shocked and, and and humbled by all of you that have listened to the show at this point in time. Uh but as far as jumping the holograms go, give it a watch, right? It's in hindsight, it's actually not that bad a film. It's quite enjoyable. It's definitely not the box office bomb. Well, it is the box office bomb, but it's not the bomb that you think it is. It's actually a pleasant film. It's not angsty. It's not. It's not too Saturday morning cartoon. It's definitely not goofy, but it's a fun ride. Uh, so find it, watch it, enjoy it. Carrie, thank you so much for joining me down this road. I'm sure I think you had more fun going down this road than I did on this one. Um, but, you know, every now and then, every now and then we get to visit your childhood instead of mine. So that's all good. Uh, and to you, our listeners, thank you for being truly outrageous. Now, you guys know the drill. If there is a film out there that is unfairly maligned or you think is so bad that there's no way in heck that we can find anything good to say about it hit us up on twitter at not that bad cast or on facebook at facebook.com slash not that bad cast let us know and we will watch it we will dissect it and we will find the truly outrageous things to say about it because we are looking for those a grades in b movies until next time she's carrie i'm jay you're awesome this is it's not that bad take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.